And certainly my biggest revelation, I suppose, in all of my loyalty career is the Pareto principle absolutely holds true. Every loyalty manager I speak to says, yes, 80% of my revenue comes from 20% of my customers. So at least take care of those customers and then you have, you know, something I suppose that's quite manageable and then you can optimize for, um, for mutual benefit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another CX Insider podcast episode. Today's guest is Paula Thomas, a customer loyalty expert and host of Let's Talk Loyalty podcast. We will talk about the latest loyalty report published by Bond Brand Loyalty, what it means when a company is loyal to their customer, and Paula gives useful tips on building your own loyalty strategy. Enjoy the episode, and if you do, let us know on LinkedIn and on our newly created Instagram account, which you can find under CX Insider podcast. According to Neil Rackham, the author of Spin Selling, during times of uncertainty like a recession, the reason people purchase is safety and not price. They are even willing to pay premium for the value. And accordingly, brand loyalty increases as customers are risk averse. The Great Recession was a time of such a disruption and also a time when Paula saw a great opportunity and shifted her career to loyalty consulting. The loyalty piece specifically started in 2010 when um, actually as a direct result of the, um, the recession at the time, I was brought in to consult on a loyalty program in Ireland, which is one that's very well known in the UK, uh, which is the O2 Priority Loyalty Program. And I was brought in to really build and, and um, optimize that program. And it was um, extremely exciting, I have to say. I don't know if you've ever worked in a loyalty program, but behind the scenes, it's very complex and uh, very challenging. But what I really loved is it's a great opportunity to give back to customers and to build direct relationships with them. So I spent about uh, 10 years actually just consulting for various different sectors um, offering, I suppose, operational expertise. But I always found I had a lot of questions around, you know, the strategic side, the technology and exactly, you know, how to build the absolute best approach to increasing customer loyalty for, I suppose, commercial benefit. So a couple of years ago, I realized nobody was um, talking professionally about loyalty in podcast form. So I decided perhaps I could be the global voice of loyalty. And yes, yeah, set up my show and started in 2019. Uh, I think similar to yourselves. So I launched Let's Talk Loyalty. And since then, and uh, now twice a week, I interview leading professionals um, or talk about loyalty programs that I'm a huge fan of and uh, share it with loyalty professionals around the world. Paula believes that if you want to start building a powerful loyalty strategy, you need to first adopt a loyalty mindset. You may wonder why corporate employees should think in such terms. However, she points out one key differentiator we will elaborate on later in this episode, and that is being loyal back to the customer. I suppose as I've spent so much time now, you know, really thinking so much about the industry, um, I really feel that there are two very different perspectives. And that's exactly why I use those terms. So to have a loyalty mindset is very different than having loyalty mechanics or a loyalty program and a structured way to, to recognize and reward customers. So I fundamentally believe that you can have loyalty mechanics, but if you don't have a loyalty mindset, then absolutely you're not going to really achieve anything. 
um, all of the best companies that I look at or, or talk to, um, the single success factor that determines whether customers end up being loyal to them, the biggest one, particularly industries, let's say, like an airline, where there's, let's say, a perception that there's a lot of similarity, maybe between two particular airlines that are going to the same de uh, destination. It's when the company feels like it's trying to be loyal back to the customer that really the difference starts to emerge. So to me, that mindset um, absolutely has to start at the very top of the company at the C-suite. And then it's something that permeates all the way through the organization, through the employees, out to the customers themselves. So there's absolutely no point, and particularly on the topic of CX, there's no point building um, a loyalty program and putting all of those mechanics in place if you haven't first got them the basics right. So I'm a firm believer in the customer experience as a fundamental requirement, and then a loyalty program and you know deciding what mechanics to use, you can layer in on top, but it's almost like the icing on the cake. It doesn't compensate for anything else that might be missing. The most common form of customer loyalty people hear about is mostly transactional. But when it comes to emotional loyalty, that's something we would probably use within the realms of brand management. Listen how Paula approaches this concept. I suppose transactional loyalty is probably the one that's um, best understood by customers because it's been around for a very long time. So um, if you think about airlines, again, I suppose as a, as a favorite sector and category of mine, um, American Airlines was the first major program that was launched in the, the 1980s. And the whole idea was, I suppose, around like lots of relationships, there, there should be give and take. So if you are behaving in a way where you're choosing to fly with one particular airline, they started to give something back in return to their customers. So I suppose the very simple part is, you know, we are logical in many ways. So our brain is very clear if somebody feels like they're being fair to us. You know, they do something for us, we do something for them. So that, I suppose, is what we would think of as transactional loyalty. Um, but then, for example, um, emotional loyalty is very different. So it might be, for example, if somebody just literally loves a product. So Apple is probably the most quoted example. So a lot of people feel a very emotionally connected to Apple, even though they don't have a consumer loyalty program. But also, I think there's good examples with brands like uh, Patagonia, I always think is a very good one because they're very much seen as an activist brand. They stand for something. And there is very much, um, you know, a very large um, reflection of what customers care about. So people care about the environment. They, they want companies they do business with to also demonstrate that loyalty to a bigger cause. So that's when we start to say that there's an emotional loyalty because we value what that company is doing and we will advocate for them as well. So it's one thing to obviously, you know, say that you're going to do something. It's another thing to say to your friend, you should absolutely shop with these guys. So that's usually coming from a place of emotional loyalty. Have you ever been in a situation where you were about to cancel a membership and right before you confirm the cancellation, you get offered extra free month or extra credit in case of Audible? While it may work short term and you might use the perk or service for a while, it won't change your attitude. And that's one of the main differences between loyalty and bribery. Bribery is more used, I suppose, when something is certainly immoral um, or even illegal, perhaps, um, and is sometimes used if there's like an abuse of trust. So somebody's in a position of power. 
Um, what I think companies are doing is I think they're they're overly focused on their own agenda. And that is a commercial agenda and the, you know, taking care of the interests of stakeholders. But very interesting, Greg, I just, for example, interviewed Fred Reicheld on Let's Talk Loyalty on my show. And your listeners may or may not know his name, um, but certainly he's um, a real guru. He's he's called the high priest of loyalty in, in our industry. And that's the economist who called him that. But he's just released a new book. And actually what he talks about is a company's primary purpose is not um, to create profits for its shareholders. The primary purpose of a company is to take care of its customers first and foremost. And by taking care of your customers, you then take care of your um, your shareholders. So I really think that um, there has to be that level of integrity, the mindset we talked about earlier. It should never feel like bribery. It should never feel like it's all about the company. And again, that's why, you know, certainly when I was advising on loyalty programs, we always wanted to get the balance right between these kind of, you know, functional benefits and something that is much softer, more emotional, and really feels like, you know, we're genuinely giving back to our customers. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that companies do get it wrong. And I think we've all been spammed relentlessly. I think, um, you know, the cookies on, on Google, for example, um, are, are going to be discontinued. I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of that. But, you know, certainly come 2023, I think is the current date for that. You won't, you know, be able to follow people around the Internet anymore, for example, to try and stalk them and see what they're looking at and then try and sell to them. You'll have to genuinely, I think, try and understand what your customers need and want. And I do believe that's the right way to do business. So, yeah, it's very easy to do it wrong and uh, very easy for me to, to sit around and say, you know, companies are bad. But um, I think we're all under pressure and I totally get that. But um, customers know exactly what's going on. They do feel it. So I don't think we should kid ourselves that we're getting away with it if we're just sending, you know, coupons all the time. <laughs> the emergence of social media revolutionized the relationship building with customers and enabled brands to create a two-way communication Nowadays, it is much easier to have an emotional bond with the company when brand managers reply to our content, follow us, engage with us, send us emails. How does that reflect in the real consumption? I think once social media emerged, I think the first thing that happened was that the vast majority of brands, you know, were utterly terrified because, you know, the, the visibility, the potential for embarrassment, um, how do you manage again with the level of integrity where you, you know, you invite feedback, um, but you, you don't allow, you know, lines to be crossed, I suppose, in terms of, um, you know, really something becoming toxic or out of control. So, all brands uh, did and still do, I think, worry about that. Um, I think it's a small um, price to pay for the opportunity to to be transparent and to be open and receptive. Um, like the last thing I want to do, and actually where I live here in Dubai, for example, it's actually illegal um, to do that. So, you know, it would be considered libel. Um, and I do know people who have been, um, you know, uh, you know, just, it's been a difficult situation if they had named and shamed a brand on a, a social media platform. So I think people have to be careful about that as well. Um, but no, I think there's there's a lot more to driving loyalty. I think the pandemic has made us all maybe stop and reevaluate exactly also 
who do we want to do business with? Like what type of oper operations and organizations? So, um, so I think there's a lot more in the mix than ever was beforehand. So it's much bigger than social media. That's only going to get more um, important. Um, but I think more and more customers value when there is a relevant relationship where we are genuinely trying to give them things that they're interested in and take care of their needs and interests. Because for example, like when I think about fashion, and the brands that I'm loyal to, I love when they let me know when things are going on. So whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or email, I welcome those communications. Um, but if I do feel like it is something that's just, you know, again, uh, very commercial and coming from a brand that I'm not really that bothered by, then it just doesn't drive any loyalty or even any commercial behavior. And certainly my biggest revelation, I suppose, in all of my loyalty career is the Pareto principle absolutely holds true. Every loyalty manager I speak to says, yes, 80% of my revenue comes from 20% of my customers. So at least take care of those customers. And then you have, you know, something I suppose that's quite manageable. And then you can optimize for, um, for mutual benefit. In July, Bond published a report on customer loyalty in which they introduced a new variable based on reciprocity that can help predict customer spending, which is how brand is loyal to me. Remember when Paula was talking about the importance of the management adopting the loyalty mindset? Without putting the customer in the center, brands would not be able to reciprocate the relationship they have with their customer. It came to my attention, I would say maybe about a year ago. And again, it was quite a dramatic um, idea because again, from the client side or from the brand side, we would tend to be um, advising about loyalty programs as a way to shift consumer behavior. Like that's the fundamental objective of why we invest in loyalty programs. And that makes perfect sense. And again, drives profitability. So I'm a firm believer that it's a good thing to do. Um, but, you know, I think what we've realized is customers have to be treated first and foremost as human beings. And again, if we say to them, you know, why don't you buy more? Why don't you behave this way? That that's really just fundamentally not a healthy relationship with your customer. And if you think about our personal relationships, if we're always waiting for somebody else to act first and to be the nice person and to be nice and loving and caring, then everybody will be left wanting. So I think what the Bond Brand Loyalty Report really illustrated is, first and foremost, most brands think, well, 46% was the number that they quoted, that actually we are being loyal to our customers. So there are plenty of examples where, you know, all of the investment is very well-intentioned, but perhaps not cutting through. And what consumers are saying, so like less than half, I think it was 20% in that this year's report, which is literally came out in July, 2021, where literally, you know, customers saying, no, the brand is not loyal to me. So, so there's a fundamental confusion, first of all, about the purpose of a loyalty program, secondly, about the effectiveness of a loyalty program. And I think Bond, for example, they, they, they surveyed like 25,000 people in North America. So it's probably seen as the, the, you know, the state of the art in terms of research scale and nationally representative in terms of perspectives on a small niche topic. Um, so I really think that anybody who's thinking about running their business needs to be honest with themselves and say, well, actually, are we being loyal to our customers? Because if we don't start with that intention, then fundamentally, there's no point building a loyalty program and expecting customers to be loyal to you. 
For all coffee lovers, Greg and Paula share examples of two loyalty strategies, both being implemented in chain coffee shops in the UK. Here in the UK, I don't know actually in Dubai because I can't remember. Do you have Cafe Nero? Is that one of the coffee um, brands that you have? No, we do not have Cafe no. Nero here. Okay. Here in the UK, just over the last year and a half, I don't interact much with like loyalty programs myself personally. Um, but it's one that I have over the last, especially being, you know, when you're locked up at home and the only thing you can do is go and buy a coffee. Like my wife and I, we we would go regularly to Cafe Nero and they they released about a year a couple of years ago an app for loyalty. I remember, yeah. And and it's honestly one of the best, most simple things. But like you said, I was thinking about what why do I like it? Because I understand it. Like if I buy X number of coffees, I get one free. I also get, I like I like the thing with the app where you don't always quite know what you're going to get because with random transactions, they give you gifts. Nice. And it yeah. compels you to go in and think, I wonder if I'm going to get a gift today, right? And you scan your app and you might get a free croissant or you might get a free flapjack or something. And actually that element of surprise, I quite like that from... Totally. From a, and it's very, it's very simple. I don't know if you do you have any great examples of other brands that you've seen, especially over the last year or so in COVID, because it's been super difficult for brands to innovate. Do you want to maybe talk about any examples that jump to mind? I will. And uh, and it's it's in exactly the same industry and it's in the UK. And I'll be interested to see if you've noticed it because, and first of all, on your Cafe Nero example, it may be here in the UAE, by the way, and I just haven't seen it. Certainly there's none in my area where I live, but we would just call that a surprise and delight strategy. So that is very much a mindset from the company to go, what can we do that's, you know, not just the same boring points and prizes and whatever. Let's do something that Greg's not expecting, whether it's his birthday or his wife's birthday or whatever. So there's an element of, you know, I think we, we do get a bit bored with predictability. Um, so yeah, so that's a whole other topic. But anyway, we won't get into that now. But the other one I really like, and I believe it has thrived, um, it was certainly launched before the pandemic, but has thrived because of it. Um, and it's the idea of subscription loyalty or paid loyalty programs, as we call them. So um, certainly in February 2020 in the US market, um, there's a huge brand there called Panera Bread, which is like a, like a lunch cafe style uh, retailer, a quick service restaurant. And they launched an $8.99 unlimited coffee proposition. Uh, based on a really big insight, which I loved because they shared this. And they said the research they did with customers was that there's an awful lot of guilt associated with the price of coffee um, and that they reckon they could save the average person in the United States about $1,000 by just subscribing to this paid loyalty program. But of course, what happens is people come in for their coffee and then what they do is they buy their lunch or they buy a cookie or a croissant. So there was incredible cross-sell and upsell. And the sister company of Panera Bread in the UK is Pret-a-Manger. And uh, Pret-a-Manger have done exactly the same. And I can see you nodding there. So Pret-a-Manger, and I do think um, probably in times of um, extraordinary challenge like now, it's the perfect proposition. When people are nervous and uncertain, if you can give them something like a fixed guaranteed proposition, and I believe it's £15 for the Pret-a-Manger unlimited coffee. And I'm pretty sure like if you buy a coffee, as you said, you go out a couple of times a week even to get a nice latte or whatever from your local Pret store, I'm pretty sure £15 is extremely good value for a month. And I do believe they had an unlimited um, month free actually when you first sign up. So um, a really compelling way to get people 
able to say, okay, let's try this um, and let's just kind of get that recurring revenue. So yeah, if, um, if there was one top of mind, it would definitely be Pret-a-Manger. One of the challenges loyalty professionals can deal with is the problem of delayed gratification in a world where customers are used to immediate rewards. Well, it's funny because we talk about instant gratification, delayed gratification and constant gratification. So <laughs> it's, it's almost like, you know, where do you draw the line? And I will credit a, a colleague of mine here in the UAE who's another loyalty professional. Uh, he kind of came up with this insight, certainly in this country where constant gratification. So customers are, are pretty insatiable. Um, but, you know, certainly from a financial perspective, um, it's, of course, important that the investment in a loyalty program is measured and is attributable, you know, so that we can start to, um, to, to, first of all, justify the investment and see exactly why we're spending this money. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, but we always, you know, say, for example, that, you know, you don't ask, you know, how much should I pay the CEO to get a return on that investment? Like you, you invest in your CEO because it's the right thing to do and the right person for the job. So I fundamentally believe it's very hard to attribute to a loyalty program exactly, you know, that's why Greg came into, you know, Cafe Nero, for example, this time, because you might, you know, just be passing by tomorrow and then you might go to Pret-a-Manger. So the, the causation and correlation is a very difficult discussion with most finance people. But we're getting better at it and um, absolutely we can see that our top tier customers tend to respond. So if you do invest in them, they will absolutely spend more. So for me, my favorite kind of idea is um, share of wallet. So if we say that in a month, Greg's going to spend this much money on coffee, then my goal as a coffee shop owner is to get all of your money that you're spending on coffee and not, you know, think, well, half is going to Cafe Nero and half is going to Pret-a-Manger. So, um, so yeah, it really is around share of wallet, I think, is the ideal objective. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at. Last but not least, we asked Paula to give you practical tips on building a powerful loyalty strategy to use as inspiration. There's very often a situation where, you know, a senior person might say, well, tell me why I should have a loyalty program. And, and I really find that a very difficult question to answer because it's not my role to tell anybody they should have a loyalty program. It's my role to help them understand, you know, how to build it and what to expect if they build it in different ways. But I think what there often is, is an underestimation of how complex it is to build something that is, I suppose, three things clear consistent and compelling. They tend to be my, you know, absolute required elements for a successful loyalty program. If it's not clear, if it's not consistent and it's not compelling, then absolutely you're wasting your time. So I really think that that takes an awful lot of expertise. And it's why, you know, certainly in my consulting career, you know, we would always advocate to bring in external experts, you know, rather than trying to figure it out by copying what your competitors are doing. I think that's a very common mistake. Um, and I suppose on the flip side of that, no matter how complex it is on the inside, it should be super simple on the outside. So one thing consumers increasingly are looking for is simplicity and transparency and again, integrity. So unless they can, this is exactly why I talk about clear, consistent and compelling. If they don't get it, they don't understand it and they don't know why, well then again, you're kind of wasting your time. So I think invest all of the time and, and you know, resources internally, but then make sure to make it um, very easy for the customer 
easy to join, um, easy to decide to join, and then easy to actually earn a reward. Because probably the single biggest mistake that we've seen over the years is where we, you know, allocate perhaps rewards for our, our members. And then perhaps a finance person might say, well, look, if nobody ever claims, great, then it can just expire and we get to keep the money. And uh, that's a very short-sighted uh, perspective in this day and age, because then you haven't closed the loop, you haven't let the customer actually enjoy the reward, and if anything, you've probably upset them. So I definitely think there's an increasing importance on making sure, particularly the first reward, is something that the, the member gets to enjoy, and then they trust you. And uh, one fabulous statistic that I saw um, on a franchise website, actually, when I was doing some work with 7-Eleven, was they said once the first redemption happened, the next basket was 33% more than the previous average ba basket spend. So it's almost like they needed to prove that it worked and then they're happy to spend more and again, earn more. So there's something in it for everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please let us know what you think on our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on one of your preferred channels. If you're interested to find out more about what Paula does, listen to her podcast Let's Talk Loyalty. On behalf of the entire CX Insider team, we wish to all our US-based listeners amazing Thanksgiving and hopefully you will get to reunite with your friends and family after almost 20 months is it since the borders were closed. Have a fun time and I'll see you next time.